Welcome to the Birthing Ad Bod Podcast. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early parenting. Yay! G'day, how's it going? I'm Steve from the Prepare Foundation. We are a registered charity that helps first-time dads make an awesome contribution at the birth of their child. This is a podcast where we get blokes talking about their experience to share their wisdom with other men who are about to go through the life-altering change that comes with first-time fatherhood. So let's hear about the transition of parenthood from a dad's perspective. Today we're chatting with Maddie in Brunswick West in Melbourne. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, we're really looking forward to hearing, you know, your birth story and and what happened and how you handled things. Uh, firstly, though, maybe we could just kick off with talking about your own upbringing, your own father. What? what how was your dad? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, um my uh, family heritage is uh, is Italian, um, so a lot of the uh, the cultural and uh, the cultural experience is very Italian. My mum's Irish, so but the you know a lot of my upbringing and a lot of my value, uh, I suppose, value system is is guided by a very uh, Mediterranean kind of uh, approach. Uh, my it's funny, like my. My grandfather came to Australia in the 1930s. He was here alone. Um, he His own father had actually died before he was, I think he was only one years old. So that was back in the 1920s. So his his experience uh, uh, was guided by some mentors, some relatives, um, but it also meant that, that he'd never had a direct sort of father experience. So my dad's own experience was then one that was, you know, quite... I suppose, uh, common for the 1950s and 60s, um, you know, not not exactly uh, with without challenges and you know what you what you've sort of heard about with you know you know corporal punishment and you know, you know maybe a lack of a lack of direct support. My father was the youngest of five, so you know it was very much sort of left to his own devices. Two older brothers, so. You know, you kind of think that that um, that that may have rubbed off on him in the way that he's been in terms of his own fathering. But um, as a father, I think he he was probably compared to a lot of others quite progressive. Um, you know, we certainly weren't in a household where we were you know concerned or worried or anything like that. In fact, if anything, he was super supportive. Um, uh, a, a father with a slightly short attention span sometimes, I think, being probably the youngest. But, um, but you know, I've, I learned a lot from my dad about things that I've wanted to be as a father and, and, to, not, and to not be as well. And I think part of that is our own lived experience, but it's also the way that society has progressed as well. And um I think despite, you know, in some ways growing up in quite a, a blue-collar, um, conservative kind of Italian cultural family tradition, um, my upbringing was relatively progressive. Wonderful. So uh, if if you could put your finger on it, um, which is, you know, putting you on the spot a little, but uh, what are the things that you've kind of, you know, you've joined and, and said that, great, I want to I want to reproduce that in my own fathering that he gave you, and what are the things that maybe you've left behind? Um, I think in particular, the openness to say, you know, to, to be transparent with the kids around how you feel 
with them. Um, I think at times my dad struggled a little bit with it, but he was probably more able to talk to me than what his father ever spoke to him. So you kind of see this you know, gradual transition between my grandfather to my father in terms of what they were capable of being able to do and just even being able to discuss things about my life. And, you know, we came into conflict. I think that's a very common thing with father to son at certain periods of their life where, you know, particularly you, you don't necessarily want to accept that there are aspects of yourself that reflect your father, but there are other things that you do. My father is incredibly kind and generous man. And um, I, I certainly want to be able to, and I try to, 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 um, to, to carry that through as well. Um, I think something that he was very good at was, was saying yes to things. Um, I think he often feels like he didn't spend enough time with us growing up. You know, during the eighties, it's a, a very kind of a time where there's high expectations for for men in terms of their working hours and their ability to, you know, to to crawl up corporate ladders and things like that. Um, in fact, at, at, uh, for a good portion of my upbringing, we were actually in Papua New Guinea because um, my father took a role over there. So the first five, six years of my life, we were actually in Papua New Guinea. So that even that was quite a formative experience. And that's something that um, I want to be able to to provide to my sons as well as an adventure somewhere that helps them to see how big the world is. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, certainly kindness, openness um, and, and things like that. It's funny, like, I think when you asked me that question, I think about when he tried to sit down and give me the talk, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, every, every, every son cringes at, the, um, of, at, that, at that time in his life. But you know what? And as terrible as his attempt was, like, it was just completely useless. It didn't help me at all. But at least he tried it, you know, and that's kind of something that I really do give him credit for. So, you know transparency, kindness, generosity. They're the kind of things that I want to be able to pass to my kids and to be as a father. Fantastic. And so is there anything you, you'd be willing to share about what you you don't want to kind of pass on? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Look, um, Mediterranean families are very passionate, as you probably, I mean, there's a stereotype attached to that, but it's true. Um, and I think it can be very easy to become combative. Um, and, and And I think... Um, when, particularly when it's things that you don't understand. So certainly in my teens, my father, you know, the things that I was interested in were very different to what my father was interested in. Um, we're both, ironically, both very interested and passionate about music, but the type of music I was into was not something that he could quite have kind of get into and really understand. Um, and while it was something that seemingly seems trivial, it kind of, it's almost like a, a an additional domino that kind of can lead to, to combative situations and arguments. Um, you know, certainly there were times when uh, at the, at the back of an end of an argument, I just, I just leave the house and wander the neighborhood or I'd go to a friend's house or something like that. And it's not necessarily because we've become physically um, combative, but just more that, that inability to find a common ground. Um, so that was always really hard. You know, there were other experiences in our household with my father that made life very hard in relation to some of his relationships outside. And I don't really want to go into too much detail about that. But I think when you when you do come across when you come across those sorts of challenges, it's particularly when you're young, it's hard to really understand them. Um, and you know, I, I think 
especially is a there's always again another stereotype which is you know there's this this oedipus kind of protection that you have over your mother and when something happens that makes her upset you know you kind of then turn you turn that into anger that then you know you then uh I'm trying to, I'm struggling to think of the word, but we project back onto your father. And I think when you're young, you don't understand all the the context behind it. And me being the person, the, the age that I am now, I understand the challenges that they went through. Oh yeah. Look, uh, just looking back myself and being a teenager and you, you just desperately want to, everything to be normal in your household and just, you know, yeah. and no one else to notice uh, anything that's co- could be potentially wrong with you. And uh, I think that is, is mm. a challenge that I'm looking forward to uh, dealing with, with my own <laughs> uh, child, but look, thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think uh, one of the things that comes up for me there was, uh, you know, that, that time spent in the eighties versus time spent now and research shows that we've tripled our time as fathers. We've tripled our time to what we used to spend with our with our kids. So I think that's a really positive sign of you know this evolution in in fatherhood. I think you know I think it's wonderful. So maybe now moving into preconception, uh, was the pregnancy planned? Were you you know were you thinking let's let's do this? It's good timing. Yeah, look, it, it's funny, you know, we, um, so my wife and I, so my wife, Pippa and I, we're both re- of relative age. I think I'm only just about like 11 months older than her. Um, and, you know, we're, I guess in this, this past 20 odd years, um, my generation, our generation has been very much driven towards career and almost like a step step. So, you know, you get a career, get a good job, get a house renovate said house do some travel find yourself pack all these things in because if that was a lot of advice that my my parents kind of maybe not intrinsically said to do but they kind of sort of said you know this is the best time for you you have all the opportunity to go to uni you know travel the world get yourself a career so we went and did that and I guess by the time we got into our mid thirties, we'd sort of, you know, found ourselves a home, we'd renovated it, we'd we'd kind of done a lot of that stuff, that bucket list kind of stuff. But, you know, that's when the conversation about families and we we'd conversed about families before. We both like my my wife has two older brothers, I have a younger sister, you know, we've we we come from families that, you know, are uh relatively functional and we wanted to be able to have our own. And I think that was something that was never an issue for either of us. I think for Pip, there was always a little bit of hesitation about um, starting a family. She's very career oriented. She's very successful. So the, the bringing in a baby into the, into our lives is obviously quite a big step. Um, Very. And I don't think I anticipated how much of an impact it would have on her more than me. And I say that because particularly babies when they're smaller and right up until a certain age, they're very reliant on mum and they can be very reliant on mum. And that's not necessarily, um, a, you know, it's not a, a, a bad thing to say that it's true because, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, nursing, there's a lot of late nights. And I think what we've been able to do as best as we can is to try and find avenues to support that. But, Anyway, in terms of the preconception, um, we decided that um, we'd start having having a go. Um, that kind of kicked off with just 
your normal sort of normal normal crack, you know, rough idea. Kind of thing. Or I think rough idea, yeah. Not even not even attempting anything really solid. Um, and then after about six months, we decided, okay, so maybe we should try. If we're going to do this, let's try. Let's do this properly. Um, Pip uh, invested in some HCT, uh, HCG testing, um, which is the uh, female hormonal testing. It helps to um, identify peaks in a woman's um, ovulation. Uh, yeah, that's right. An ovulation. It was an ovulation testing kit. That's right. So um, it's funny because a friend had recommended it. And we're a little bit like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll give it a go. And I think we used the kit twice <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and off we go. And it's funny. I still remember like uh, I was, I was at a, uh, I was at a work drinks and uh, I got a text message, which is come home now. We're ready. And so I just basically said, okay, goodbye everybody. I'm going to go. And I jumped in a cab and, 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 and you know what? It was, um, it, it happened. And um, I, it's funny, you know, I think there was, Leading up to that point, I think for Pip particularly, there was this feeling as, oh, you know, is it me? Is there a problem? Is there something wrong? And, and you, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to kind of coach us through saying, you know, we've only just started. There's other different ways we can do this. And I think that kind of encouragement because it's super important because it's very easy for, for, you know, for women to kind of go into this world of like, there's something wrong with me. And I think part of that is is environmental. I think there's huge expectations on women and their ability to become mothers. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, just unfairly as well, you know. There's... Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, the, the first thing we look at if there's any infertility issues is we straight, go straight to mum, mm. you know, and I think that that's, there's so many of those kind of uh, societal barriers that we're trying to smash through, I suppose, and, yeah, but I, I get I get what you're saying. It, it, you know, it is something that is, you know, because it is a very emotional and vulnerable time mm. for women, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, as soon as you start trying even, it's that, you know, the, the mind goes to, oh, there's, you know, something wrong with me, which, um, but that, it's great to hear that you, you know, supported her well through that. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, for, for both of us, it was a very, um, you know, it was a new kind of thing. We'd both, you know, obviously prior to that, we'd never thought about actually going straight. In fact, um, Pip for a long time had the bar in her arm. I can't think off the top of my head what it was called. The the um, birth control. Yeah, the contraceptive bar. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. But um, so now to take, uh, you know, to, to take that out and to actually start, you know, it's a, it's, you know, it's taking, it's taking the wheels off and off we go, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very in, seemingly intimidating thing. So yeah, for we in terms of our first, for our first son, it was, it was relatively smooth. Um, second time around, it took a little bit longer. I think the second time we were kind of leaving things a little bit more to the, to the gods to see just what might happen. Um, and even then, once we decided to 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 try the ovulation kits again, it didn't seem to be quite working out. And it actually took us about a year. Um, and even to the point, actually, we we we'd made an appointment to a um, to a an IVS specialist just to even just to understand what the process would be if we were having trouble with our second. Um, 
And I'll tell you what, it was the best money ever spent because we found out the next, uh, about three days later, we were pregnant. So I don't know if it was just the uh, being in the office or what, but uh, I, I'm sure that that, um, that specialist was uh, was both happy for us and sad that we didn't actually continue that conversation with them. But no, congratulations that the universe stepped in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, so that that did take a little bit of time. So let's just go back to that that first uh, that first pregnancy, and and you found out it's all it's all you know happening, and uh, maybe take us through a bit of the pregnancy, and you know, and and did you go to the did you go to all of the appointments? Did you have an opportunity to do that? Yes. So um, early on, because we have private health insurance, we had decided to go private. So I think that's a very important thing to 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 talk about because. Um, if you if you do have private and you can do it, you should do it. You know, free up the public system because it is a it's already a busy system, and we'd made that conscious decision. And because we'd gone that way, um, we were able to have quite quite a lot of access to an obstetrician, uh, probably more than what most would. I mean, he even gave us his mobile number, and and Pip could like text him anytime. Um, when it's your first time around, everything just feels just that little bit intimidating because every little tweak or every little feeling, you know, there's this fear, you know, and it's, you know, you've you've gone to these yards, you've stepped out onto the ledge and now, you know, you want to make sure you can get to the other side. And I think every time we kind of felt like there was that something wasn't quite right, we felt confident that we could talk to someone. Um, you know, there were a couple of times we called the nurse on call first just to understand how she was feeling, if we should take action. Um, I think that's an amazing service and and people should use it more often. Um, But um, during the pregnancy, you know, despite the fear, I think um, there was a lot of excitement. Um, There's so much advice. (laughs) When it's your first, you get so much advice from people, from friends who already have kids, uh, from your parents, from your in-laws, from unsolicited advice. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and I think if I've learned anything about that, it's it's take everything in, listen to everything, but it doesn't necessarily it will mean it will apply to you. And the and you you just have to use what you can in the context of your own experience. And I think that's really important because I think. You know, I think reading the books are really important. We actually went through the um, the impending books. I think there was one where you can go through chapters at different points of the trimester. And a lot of that, we actually read it together. We would lie in bed on a Saturday morning and we would read, you know, where our baby was at. Um, you know, we had the app, you know, we were, so we, we were getting little notifications about what the baby, how big it was. And I think the what was really important about that was the shared experience. Um, part of it was the knowledge um, but you know, knowledge can only take you so far. It's it's about the sh- it's about a shared experience, and I think that bit was really important for us because we felt like it was something we were doing together. One of I think the biggest challenge for particularly for my wife in both pregnancies is something called hypermesis. Oh yeah, that's a shame. Really, okay. And tell us, you know, about her experience and your experience of that. Then yes, so I mean. One of the common symptoms, and you'll always you'll always hear about um, morning sickness, and you know, our role is to do our best to make you know mum as comfortable as possible because I can tell you it just sucks. It's awful. Uh, but you're thinking about a hangover every day at all hours of the day, 
Um, and uh, there is a, a small portion of pregnant women that will get something called hypermesis, which is basically morning sickness, but for the entire pregnancy. Um, and unfortunately, my, um, you know, my wife had that and she had it for both kids as well. So it's uh, something that wasn't particularly enjoyable for her. And I think it kind of did mar her experience of pregnancy. I mean, she had all the other you know, wonderful parts of being pregnant, you know, the pain, the, you know, um, constipation, you know, the going through exhaustion, all that hormonal roller coaster. Exactly, exactly. But then it was overlaid with this hypermesis. And not a lot of people know about it, primarily because there's not a lot of research about it. Um, we were pretty lucky because our obstetrician knew a lot about it because he'd done some, whatever, whatever research had been available, he'd been able to contribute to. And realistically, the, the current only way to be able to deal with it is medication. And, uh, and it's, and that in itself is a scary thing as well, you know, because, you know, you don't know what that kind of medication will do to the development of the child. Now, you know, they do classifications on those types of medications and they tell you the risks and they tell you, you know, where it sort of sits, but, you know, as impending parents, it's, you know, it's already a bit of a scary experience. And then to, then to kind of have make decisions like that um was uh was not was not really not really fun but you know what we true to the strength and the uh determination of of women in general but particularly my wife not only did she stick through it and you know we we came out with a with a beautiful son she did it again and we came out with another beautiful son mm. so you know it, it's um it really is one of the things that you don't know about until it kind of happens and in fact it was even hard for her to really diagnose it um and for our obstetrician to really recognize it until quite late but look you know overall from my perspective like if i think about what what was my role in the in the lead up while she was pregnant was literally just to find anything possible to make her as comfortable as possible because i can tell you if you if you find ways to make her comfortable, to take her mind off sickness, to find the things that she wants to eat or do, just do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's very, I hear a lot of men or a lot of, you know, a lot of guys complain about their lives changing even before the baby came and it comes. And it's like, well, dude, you know, it's, that's, it's, it's going to get, it's going to get even more interesting after that. If that's your attitude, you know, you kind of, you really do need to be aware that, the life that you had prior is going to change. Yeah, hugely. And in some ways it's very easy to, to mourn it, you know? Um, and, and, and that happens even after the birth too, you know, there's, there's, if you're aware that it's going to happen, you can be prepared for it, but it's still going to happen. And you just have, we just have to find ways to be able to, to deal through it because mum has to do it as well. And arguably it's even worse for her. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Look, I, I love hearing what you're saying about that supportive kind of attitude and just having that, that question on your lips constantly of, you know, is there anything I can do for you right now? You know, I, I like to, that's, that's basically what I tried to, to do during pregnancy with my partner. And, and it is that, and that is your role. That's actually what you need to be doing if, you know, you're on the other, other side of this and there's a child, your child is, is developing and the more that you can do, to help out, you know, the better your child, the more healthy and, you know, beautiful your child is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's, there's, I don't know how much medical research there is with it, but a happy mum generally is happy baby, you know, and the best you can do is find opportunities to create 
happy moments because those endorphins have to go somewhere and someone's sharing that experience at the same time, whether or not they're there. In fact, actually, funnily enough, we, um, we spent, I think it was two weeks in Sri Lanka while she was pregnant with, um, with our first. And we, we, even to the point where she, she climbed to the top of this, this, this big mountain, um, I can't say it, probably Sigaria or something like that. I've got this photo of her, just this triumph holding her belly and like hand in the air. Like, yeah. So I think it's those kind of experiences that, um, that I think have a positive impact. Wonderful. And so you, you, you've got through pregnancy and uh, how were you feeling about the birth? Like, were you, like, what was your feeling leading up to it? Were you confident? Rate your confidence zero to 10. Look, in honesty, I was shitting myself, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna it's be a common thing. Really honest. I mean, I think I have a lot of faith in the medical system and in our obstetrician who was very good. So I think I don't know if I was necessarily worried about it, but there's this just impending change that you know was coming. And I think for me it was that feeling of not knowing what I didn't know. And I think that happens with a lot of things in life, but I think with kids, it's particularly when the baby arrives, you're like I literally have no idea what I'm about to do, like what I need to do. Like, so when, when, um, when we did actually, uh, when Pip's water broke and, you know, we knew it was, everything was, was in train, we were in, you know, you'd be prepared for a, a fair bit of waiting. Um, so just, just, just know that it may come really quick or it may not. Pip was in labor for about 20 hours. Um, and partly because her water hadn't broken completely. Um, and unfortunately for her, when the doctor sort of helped it along, he helped to pierce the, um, the break the water, you know, manually. Um, she went from not very, very low contractions to like, you know, she went from one to a hundred really quick. You know, I, I, the funny thing is, is right up until that point, uh, at, at one point the baby was facing the wrong way. And so they had to, uh, they had to do a procedure to try and massage the tummy so that he would face the correct way. And there's a bit of risk in that because there's, you, you don't necessarily know if he's going to turn. And so we were pretty convinced actually that Pip was going to have to have a C-section. So in all honesty, we did no preparation at all. <laughs> we did no Lamar's classes. We didn't do any breathing practice. We did nothing. And that's really interesting. Let's explore that. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, un- yeah, it was a really weird thing. Um, I think we just... Had you discussed that? Had had you discussed that with each other? Well, yeah, yeah. So I think what had happened was the obstetrician had kind of indicated to us that it was a possibility because of the the baby not being in the right spot, not not ready for not ready for launch. So in our minds, we'd be like, we were. I think in particular for for Pippa, it was like, oh great, you know, don't have to. I don't have to worry about pushing this baby out the natural way. It's just going to be pulled out of me. So we almost did almost nothing. And uh, in some ways, maybe that was us also coping by not wanting to know about the pain, and particularly for her, about what birth is really like. Um, and the funny thing was, is uh, when we were in there, her water broke, <laughs> our obstetrician said, okay, so we're going to have a natural baby today. And we were just like, oh, oh no, what do we do? So we were madly looking up YouTube videos on how to breathe. and While she was in labour. Yes. So, Classic. <laughs> Uh, I, I highly recommend that you don't do that because it just kind of adds stress to an already stressful situation. Mind you, because she was in labor for so long, we had plenty of time to do it. 
Um, so we could t- kind of did a crash course and what, you know, you would do over several, several months in small portions in only a few hours. Um, and in the end she did such a, a fantastic job, but it, it completely, it completely wrecked her. She was so just destroyed, um, after it in terms of her exhaustion and effort. And How was she emotionally? Like you say, destroyed. I mean, the, the sounds like that's more, there's more depth to that than simply physical exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think, I think because it had taken so much of a toll on her, the actual physical requirement for childbirth, that she wasn't really able to appreciate our son until until she'd recovered. I think that was a really interesting thing. I think it really kind of threw her a fair bit. How she wasn't able to to focus because her body had um, um she had lost quite a lot of blood as well during that process of his um and so it was a little bit scary to their credit the the nurses and our obstetrician knew exactly what needed to happen and they didn't give me too much detail in fact if anything what happened is one once our son was born they basically wrapped him up and gave him to me and I sort of sat in this chair with this newborn kind of going I have no idea what I need to do other than just sit here and hold this baby. So, cause it's so fragile while they were sort of working really hard to kind of, to stop the bleeding. And it was quite a lot of blood. And I think what that meant was that she wasn't really able to concentrate or un- really you know, comprehend what had just happened. Um, and it did, it took her at least t- uh, getting saline and some, some medication to try and bring her, but bring her back up to her, her conscious self um, before she could really kind of go, oh, look at this little beautiful guy. And it, so it's re- it was really hard on her. And on you. Like, like you have to recognise that that's kind of hard on you too, mate. Yeah, you know? true. Yeah. True. No, oh, no, absolutely. Like, um, again, I don't think I understood the severity of it until the next day. And because you're just sort of living moment to moment. Um, and, and I think for me, it was just more, uh, okay, you know, Pip's all right. She's not all there, but she's getting there and the baby's healthy and he's fine and he's squawking, but now he's resting and, and, and yeah, you're literally living moment to moment. So you don't really, I don't think you understand the impact until things have calmed down. And certainly the next day when I understood more about what had happened and, you know, she had a chance to really kind of connect with, um, with the, with the baby and with Teo, it was, um, in some ways, because it was in the middle of the night too, mind you, like you know, the, my, my son arrived at like 11.30 p.m. And she'd already been in labor since, you know, the previous night. So we were, everyone was exhausted and it was, uh, it really is. It's, you know, I think everyone expects childbirth to kind of be this wonderful, happy thing that just happens straight away and everyone's dancing in flowers, but it, it can be really challenging. And I think, um, I don't think you need to fear it because we live, we're very lucky living in Australia. We have a lot of, you know, um, we have a lot of medical help, you know, baby births, uh, baby deaths at pregnancy are extremely low. So, you know, the fear, I think, is just more about what are you doing, what you need to do. But um, yeah, certainly the next day was far, far much more. It was far more fun. First baths, first nappy, which is oh man, that first nappy. Every every father talks about the first nappy. Tell us about your experience then. <laughs> it's impressive, I have to tell you, because you know they haven't eaten anything and they're still you know processing all the stuff from inside the umbilical cord. So. It can be a, a mirage of colours, I can tell you, but generally it's like dark green or blue, or it's uh, it's incredible. And the consistency is is kind of surprising, and also not not what you expect. 
in some ways, you know, the more there is a little bit more, and especially when you talk to dads after afterwards, the more it's like, you know, if there's more of it, then it's a little bit more impressive because you had to deal with more. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, you know, things like, you know, the reality of having uh, a newborn, you know, it starts to kind of kick in. I mean, we were lucky because through the private system, you have the opportunity to stay within the hospital for a number of, for a number of days, particularly for your first child. Um, and having that access to nurses and access, you know, when you don't know what you're doing, is just so incredibly useful. You mentioned that, um, you know, that you kind of did your preparation on the run and you found some things that were, you know, helpful or, or whatever. But so what were you doing as, you know, as the dad and you're the witness and you're you're trying to help out? What did you find that helped? Um, you mean during the pregnancy or leading up? No, to during it? the labour. Oh, during the labour, yes. Um, you know, well, actually, you know, the one thing that definitely comes to mind was that um, the decision about whether or not to have any sort of assisted help for for medication. So, um, Pip did opt for a um, for the one that goes in her spine. I can't think of the name of it. Right epidural. Now. Epidural. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. So she did opt for an epidural. Um, you know, basically the whole idea is that it, you know, from the waist down, you don't really feel that much. So it sort of helps with the pain. Um, but the funny thing is, is the whole process, you know, from when, even during the, the, the delivery, I didn't feel queasy. I'm not a particularly queasy person. Um, I can kind of deal with, you know, vomit and blood and poo and stuff like that. But the only time that I really did kind of feel lightheaded is when they were doing the epidural because they have to they have to inject the needle into into her spine uh and when they did that and and actually unfortunately for, for us the uh the the anesthetist couldn't quite find the right spot so they had to do it a number of times and really it was on the last go that she got it and by that last go, I was nearly, <laughs> my eyes nearly rolled up in my head. I managed to keep it together, but geez, that, that was really an experience. And, you know, but, you know, there are different aspects of that delivery that can really kind of throw you, whether it's actually seeing the child coming out of your wife's vagina. It's just like, oh my God, how is that even possible? And Indeed, yeah. I think a lot of guys just kind of spoke. In fact, it was hilarious when we did find out that we were having a natural birth. My, the obstetrician basically gave me one of her legs and said, okay, hold her leg. And I was like, what do you mean hold her leg? And literally you're standing there and you see everything happen. And then he started yelling, quick, take a picture, take a picture. And so he actually encouraged to take pictures of the whole process, which in the end, my wife was really happy for because it's for her. That's the process. It's an honest process. Yeah. This is everything that it is. And she's actually really grateful that I, that I did take those photos as, as uh, you know, as uh, graphic as they are. But even just the, like, he handed me the scissors to cut the cord. He actually says, he said to me, here, cut this. It's like cutting calamari. It was exactly the, exactly what he said. Um, so, so look, in terms, to answer your question, you know, what are the things that I did to kind of along that process? You held a leg? Yeah, I held a leg. <laughs> photos? I think I stayed close, but I listened to what Pip wanted. So putting a cold, you know, cold cloth on her head, holding her hand, um, we play, I had some music playing, like just to help kind of provide almost a distraction where possible in between the actual pushing, you know, doing whatever the obstetrician and the nurses told me to do. Now, I think you're very much, you're a passenger in this and you have to do what you're told, I think. And if you accept that 
and you're okay with that, then the whole process, you will enjoy the process more. I think, again, particularly with your first child, it's the unknown. I think it's that challenge of the unknown. And I think um, once you can get past that um, and, and sort of look at things almost like methodically, you know, okay, I have to be there. I have to think about what can I do to help. I have to listen to what people are telling me. And, and be as helpful as possible. So I think that's really the key one. Yeah, I really like that. And, and you know, that, that unknown is, is often, it can be filled with a whole bunch of fear of the unknown. But mm. in fact, I, I would like, uh, you know, our listeners to think about looking at a, a curiosity of the unknown or a positive view of the unknown. I think Absolutely. that's kind of the way to try and frame that in your mind, you know, because childbirth has happened billions of times. It happens, you know, millions of times every year safely. And I think, you know, we need to begin to, as men, uh, you know, trust what, what's what's unfolding before us and, and begin to, you know, move into a place of acceptance. And, you know, because we are in the room now mm-hmm. and we do have to kind of, you know, lift our game, I would say. Uh, which is really important. So, so you've got a baby in your arms, right? So, baby's just born, Teo. You're uh, you're watching an emergency unfold. So you're kind of like, you know, thinking what's what's going on there. But so, the next day and the next, you know, a few days after that, but did breastfeeding happen? Okay, was was that something you were that you people wanted to do? Uh yes, yes. So we were pretty lucky. Yeah, we were pretty lucky in that sense. I mean, we were lucky because there was also some, um, and this I believe that this is available to everyone, is that there are breast um, feeding classes or um, appointments that you make with the nurses. Um, having a good nurse really does make a big difference. And often if you're there for a number of days, the nurse nurses change, obviously, because there are shift changes. And um, you do find nurses that particularly you can connect with because sometimes some of them some of them are a bit harder and a little bit more straightforward others are a little bit more maternal um but all of them are fantastic because they do, do they do they're doing a, a brilliant job um and i guess it's just like life you know you're finding people who you connect with and people maybe not so much so um so when you're finding um things like nurses who can help with breastfeeding in the, in, in comfortable ways that's really important for new for a new mother in particular um, the funny thing for me, like in terms of how I was able to help, there was a couple of things. So the first thing is just taking the baby so that your wife can go to the toilet or just have a moment where she's not holding it. Because for the first, you know, for the first few days, weeks, you're going to be, she's going to be with that baby just almost 24 hours a day. So uh, as close to 24 hours as you can get. And um, so wherever you can find opportunities just to hold baby and not be afraid that you know that you're going to hurt it because it's so fragile babies are surprisingly robust um, they certainly are yes. and they and they certainly let you know if they're not happy about something so they're, they're they're two good things that you learn um but really it is discovery by that point you know all that um advice and all the things that you've read you try and kind of put them into the context that you have um again you know the apps are pretty useful you know, I think in those couple of days afterwards, it's about basics, you know, you know, even if you're shown how to do a nappy and you try it on a doll or you try it on a, on a, on a, on another kid or something like that, it's still quite intimidating when you do it the first time because they're so small, like they're tiny with those, those newborn nappies. The, the funniest thing is always trying to dodge the fire hose too, if that's a, if that's a common thing with, with your child, but um, even things as simple as uh, burping a baby, 
you know. Um, I remember the first night after the birth, um, Taya was just screaming and we just couldn't figure it out. Like Pip had been feeding him, we'd, you know, been holding him. We couldn't, we, we checked his nappy, we couldn't figure it out. And we'd called the nurse and the nurse had said, so have you burped him? And we were like, oh. How do we, you know, what do we need to do to make that right? And so she just showed us. And seriously, she put him on his shoulder, on her shoulder, gave him a little pat, burp, and he was out. <laughs> he was asleep. <laughs> it was just like, oh, yes. Nice, yes. Yeah. So it is very much about discovery. Um, it is very much about, you know, ha- almost having like, okay, baby's doing blah. I need to try this, this, and this. And then once I'm past that, then I need to see if there's another there's another thing. And I think, you know, you don't necessarily have to do that on your own. Obviously, I think it's a conversation with mum and dad about what has to happen. I think the important thing is, is you don't just leave it for mum to try and figure out. You you mentioned area, earlier, we, you know, we're in a different world now. Um, uh, the way the expectations on us are that we're a partnership, and I think that's only fair. So you need to do as much as you can to kind of, you know, work together to find solutions and i think the quicker you get to that understanding and figure out where that understanding is i think the better because it can get really it can get messy i mean people then feel like they're shouldering the the load you know their lives have changed significantly whereas you're not you're not carrying it up and that's really where relationships are tested oh i agreed and yeah it can get really tense and you know it's three o'clock in the morning you can't work out what's going on but uh, look i yeah i i totally second what you say there about the idea of teamwork and you know and and when you do find out something that yourself i whenever i found out something new that we didn't know as a team i was so proud to say hey guess what this is actually what you do in this situation and, you know, and my partner was the same. It was kind of like, hey, uh, I think this is what we should do when this happens. You know, it, it doesn't take that long to learn how to do those nappies. It's all about neuroplasticity, isn't it? You just kind of go, okay, well, these are the things that I need to have next to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a list of things and you, you learn what they are. And then there's a process. Okay, this happens first, this happens second, this happens last. All right, great. Okay, now, done done the nappy. And then three minutes later sometimes, boom, it's on again. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, you, you're, you know, you've got baby at home. You're, you're finding out that, uh, you know, what they're like as as part of the, the new family. How are you guys uh, going with your relationship over the over the first year? How how was all that? Yeah, that, that's a great question because I think there's a couple of things that I learned pretty quickly um, about what it what it you know what it's like having a newborn at home. I think the first thing to say is don't be panicked or alarmed if you don't feel directly connected to the baby straight away. I think, you know, there's this, people talk about the connection that mum has with bub and there is a very clear and, and strong connection because of, you know, nursing, the, the, the closeness that they, that they have, the way in which I think sometimes there's uh, a little bit of fear in, in guys, particularly because they don't necessarily know where they fit in it and they don't necessarily have that connection with a baby straight away because the baby may not react to you the same way that they react to mum um because you know you're you're just kind of like she was part of mum for nine months or he was part of mum for my nine months you know and, and you, you come to understand more and when you read about it is that for a for a number of months after they're born they still think mum and them are the same 
this part of the same entity. So you're kind of maybe in some ways, the way that they react to you is very different. The main thing I would say is don't be alarmed by that because what happens is you start to, when you play with baby, when you, you know, when you change nappies, when you play an active role, they start to react to that and you start to actually see things like smiling and giggling. And, and that's, that's the magic. That's the stuff that, you know, the lack of sleep and the, you know, the screaming and the, you know, all the, and the nappies and all of that stuff. And the fire hose. The fire hose, <laughs> the croup, all these things that happen that are really tough. You know, it's those little moments, you know, it's a friend of mine, um, which he's a, he's a journalist for the guardian in, in America. And he described having a, a baby's first child as seeing your heart live outside your body. And, and it's true. Like you, you see this little, this little representative of this, of the two of you growing and starting to do things. The other thing I'll say too, that we learned in that first year is that when they're small, it doesn't stop you from doing things. Um, you actually, it's, it's more of a benefit when they're small because um, they don't really do much. Um, if you've got a, a bassinet in, uh, in a, in a pram, and you want to go to the pub, you can do that because they tend to sleep through it. They, you know, if they need a feed, they have a feed. If they need a change, you give them a change. But, you know, for that first three months, they don't really wriggle. They don't do a lot. So you can still do the things that you like doing. I mean, you wouldn't go, take them to a club at, you know, two o'clock in the morning. But, but you know what I mean is that there are still things that you can do that were part of your old life as you sort of transition into this new world. And, and the other thing is that it, it can be easier because if, if you're with your first child, and there's the two of you, you know, you, you outnumber the child, you know, if, if one of you needs a break, then the other one can take them. And, um, and, and so I, 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 you know, you really, again, this comes back to partnership as well. I think that part, you learn so much about your partner um, and they learn so much about you in that year of having a newborn up till their first birthday, about your temperament, about where your limits are, about, you know, what, you know, these, these type, these, um, these joy triggers that you didn't even know you had. My, my, I remember, um, people took a video of me with, um, his, I had Teo sort of lying on the floor in front of me and I was, uh, blurdling his tummy and he was started giggling. And it was like the first time he was really giggling wholeheartedly. And I think about that video now, sometimes I even go back and watch it again because it, it makes me laugh and it just makes me remember that connection that I, that I had with him, um, even though it took, and an, look, it took two months really to really feel that strongly. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's part of, it's part of the experience. Um, you know, some dads might find that they connect really quickly. Others that might take longer, you know, sometimes, and you often see it too with your, with your own father, when they interact with kids that unless they're talking to you or unless they react to something you do, they find it very hard to connect. I noticed that for both my, my father and my father-in-law, it wasn't really until the, the kids would do something that they would go, oh, great, yeah, now, now I feel like I can help, I can do something with you. Right, there's a response. Yeah, so I think often, I think particularly men will look at the situation and kind of need a response to know that they need validation, I think, and that's something a baby can't give you until you know, months down the track in different ways. Yeah, but it, it is true that research shows that even although they don't respond with the uh, with a lot of facial expressions and stuff like that, they're still connecting with you and they do oh, yeah. they do have, uh, you know, an understanding that 
oh, there is this one other person here that's outside of uh, this other person. And yeah, but in, like you say, in that first few months, they're very focused in on on mum. But maybe maybe now talk about your relationship with Pip and yep. and how that might have been modified or uh, improved or or changed. Yeah, yeah. I think you almost you feel more grown up because <laughs> you've got. I mean, a lot of us will have pets before we have kids. You know, you joke about fur babies and stuff like that. And look, it's helpful, particularly when you're both looking after a being that's alive and needs to be fed and walked and that and activity and blah blah blah. A newborn is not is not a pet. <laughs> People might not agree with me on that, but it it is absolutely true. Um, your capacity to support this little living being's growth and development um, can only benefit by the partnership that you build and you have, you know, with the you know with your your your, your significant other half. Um, and I think for us. The coming to realizations often would be get quite quite terse, particularly because the sleep sleep's always a thing that I always talk about. Like I've got a friend who's about to have their first, and I said to him, "You know, enjoy the sleeping. You know, it's, it's you'll get sleep. Everyone has to sleep, but it's the you know the waking up and not having to get up on a Saturday morning straight away because there's no urgency. You know, you talk about those sorts of things, and um, when when you have a child and when you have a newborn and a baby just in general, you know, you, you start to understand more about your partner's needs and your own really. I would, you know, we were able to kind of, you know, I, I liked going to the pub. I like seeing my friends. I like going to gigs and doing things like that and leading into it, you know, okay, so I'm going to have to curb that a bit. And maybe I don't think you realize how hard it is um, on your partner that if you keep trying to do that, and the same level and it really is about negotiation and it really is about understanding your kids needs like for instance um you know if you know that at the moment that their sleep cycles are at certain times then you you know we would talk i would say oh look you know the guys are meeting maybe i can go and have a couple of drinks with them in the afternoon and then i'll come back and i'll i'll do the i'll do uh, the dream the dream um, the dream feed or something like that it's all about negotiation um and and understanding where your partner is at. I can't emphasize enough how important communication is. I'm no, I'm no genius at it. I can tell you. And there were definitely points where you'd leave things unspoken until it, you know, boom, you know, someone is just like, my brain's going to explode because something's not right. Um, and you know what, even if you're trying to communicate, you know, you're still going to get it wrong, but hopefully the more you communicate, the more times you'll get it right, more often than not. I, I think often, often, uh, w- yeah. Looking back on that that period for us, I think one of the one of the things that I would say to our listeners is, do try and go back to things because you know, it, it, yeah, because you seem to not never kind of get to the bottom of anything. Yeah, you never get any resolution, and I, that was one of our major kind of issues and problems. Uh, that you something would happen, you'd have a disagreement. This had happened and then, and then the baby needed nurturing. So, it, you know, you'd be separated again and you'd just go off in your own in half and you're in a half, you're in a half, you're in a half. And then later on, you might want to try it. You know, I mean, you never, we never seem to get to the bottom of anything, which <laughs> yeah. I think is the most important thing, uh, advice that I think I would give, you know, post birth relationships as necessary. Yeah. And the other thing too is, is 
while on one hand I absolutely I advise people not to sacrifice everything in your life that that brings you some degree of joy but make sure when you do it you're you're do you're you're um coordinating that kind of stuff with your partner because they're sacrificing as well and in between there's a happy medium um you kind of find that once you get into post one year even sometimes even a bit earlier that life kind of becomes a bit easier because you can you know maybe kids start to sleep through the night uh if you're lucky um or they sleep longer so you can go out for longer and you can kind of do things you can do things on your own too i think um there's often as you lead up to points like that having the baby on your own for a number of hours it, it is intimidating you know because you know if they're still breastfeeding it's like well i have i have to you know you either have to leave breast milk we have to do a formula. You have to be prepared. And um, it is really intimidating the first time you look after your own child uh, for, for hours on end because you have to figure out what happens next. Um, but, you know, if you don't do that, then, you know, you get to places where, you know, people become resentful because their their lives have changed and your yours hasn't changed enough or you're not talking about how you guys feel. And I think that you, you couldn't, I couldn't emphasize how important communication is. People always say it, but the reality is, is if you don't talk to your partner, then things are just going to, it's just going to go downhill real quick and you won't enjoy the experience because it is an experience worth enjoying, you know? Absolutely. I think a lot of time parents, once they get their kids are a bit older and they're doing other things, they think back and go, well, why don't I enjoy that just a little bit more? Why was I so stressed all the time? You know, and, and it is stressful, but you, you need to find ways like going away for weekends, you know, with the baby is hard, but it's worth doing because, you know, you can, you actually get to do something that's outside of the home. And, and that's another thing is don't lock yourself in the house because that, you know, it, it's fine if you're a homebody, but the more you do that, the more you feel like you're disconnected. And I think that's a really important thing to do is remain connected. Yeah, you've got to stop that, you know, isolating yourself and, and hiding away. And I, and I love what you said about, you know, taking it on and that first few few times and just, you know, kind of validating that the first few times of looking after a baby on your own as a man, mm. as a woman, as a human, looking after a newborn baby is intimidating the first few times. But have the courage to take it on because, you, you know, you do have a lot of like, uh, you know, reward for the idea. Like I, I actually did it yeah. and they're, they're, they're asleep now and your partner comes home and you, they're asleep. Look, <laughs> I did it. Um, and, you know, that it is intimidating, but have the courage, have the power. You, you know, you really, it is, like you said, babies are resilient. You're not going to harm them. They might cry a lot, <laughs> which is all right. You know, a crying baby is not being harmed necessarily, you know, and go through that list of things and you'll find the way. So uh, just maybe one last question, mate. Um, so you mentioned Pip was a professional woman before yes. she had a baby. Now, how did that actually, you know, pan out over time with her? Did she take some time off and how does she feel about, you know, her career now? And Yeah. Yeah. So, so Pip's an academic um, at Melbourne University. So, um and been working a long time to build that career and um you know she has a phd she has all those sorts of things and you know you get to a point where you're building yourself towards something and you know you're expending so much of your time and you know you're learning and you're developing and that and then to disrupt it with kids is quite it can be quite it's really jarring um 
um, the university system has very generous maternity leave. Um, so she was able to take six months. Um, that was, I believe, it wasn't full pay, but it was pretty close, um, which financially it makes it easier for you as a family unit because obviously finances is another consideration. I mean, early on, you, you spend a lot of money on prams and, and you know, cots and bassinets and everything that everyone thinks that you, it says that you should have. And about a third of it you actually use. But, um, you know, that, that, that financial question is really tough because if you don't have access to maternity leave, then you lose the second income. Um, we were in a, a pretty lucky situation in the sense that not only did she have access to maternity leave and she had maternity leave built up, but the organisation, I worked for a big corporate energy company that had just uh, released a parental leave policy. So I was able to take 18 weeks leave. So essentially what we had decided quite early on was that, you know, after Pippa had done the first six months, I would take the next six months. So I did. I took six months off work um, and uh, I looked after our son full time. And it um, look, I I couldn't recommend it more highly if, it, if it's available to you. It's not available to everyone, people who run their own businesses, tradies. I mean, it would be amazing if the, I mean, the government does give you some um, benefit. I think it's a two weeks paid, but it's hardly enough. Um, it's really only just to cover your ability to, to help at the very first stages of the baby. But if you if it's possible, uh, it's just such a rewarding experience and you just understand so much more about what your partner has, you know, just the day-to-day existence, because it is a job. Um, you know, you find, it's funny, you know, we would joke that, um, in the first six months, I'd get back from work and Pip would basically, as soon as I walked through the door, she'd hand me the baby. And then in the second time, it was me. It'd be, you know, she'd be home by, you know, four, four thirty, five o'clock and be like, I'm going to, I'm going to go just sit and have a quiet time and a beer. I just need to, I just need to kind of get through, you know. Um, but I'll tell you what, like in the end, things, like babies have sleep cycles and stuff. So you have set times or you try and build set times into the day um, just to kind of help them. Um, but it helps you too to have a routine. I can tell you, like it, it just if you're looking after a child, whether it's it, it's, it's your wife during maternity leave, or if you're lucky enough to look after your child yourself, you have to build a routine because otherwise you go nuts. You can't see the end of the day. Like it's you know because babies as they develop into different stages, they don't do a lot, but they need a lot. They they need you there. It's relentless. Oh, yeah, really? yeah. Like that first year, they 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 do need constant. Yeah you know, attention. And, and I agree with you there. Um, all I would say is, and what I would advise is that maybe you try and let them build the routine. Yeah. It's kind of, you're responding to their routine. You know, you can, because you do get to kind of, uh, as you know, you get to see their signs of tiredness yep. and you go, right. Okay. And then you look at you, you know, and you go, oh yeah, it's 11:30 in the morning. Right. They're down for an hour and a half. And at that time you're like, woohoo, what can I do in an hour and a half? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Those, those, you know, an hour and a half is just so essential, but you know, building activities too. You know, I think, yes. Oh, you need to. Yeah. There's yeah, so yeah. many things that you can do with kids at different stages. Uh, you know, particularly in Melbourne, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's music groups, there's early swimming lessons. There's all these things that you can do. And it really is worthwhile investing in them. Um, and take the support if you've got a fa- if you've got family who are close by, friends who have kids, dads groups, mums groups. You know, you just take take the opportunities because 
you know, it, sometimes it is hard because you do, you know, there's new people, there's other babies and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I met with a couple of other dads that I knew who had, um, who were also taking time off for, you know, and, and we'd, you know, we'd go, we'd, we'd take the kids to the park or, you know, we'd, we'd go places for a coffee just so you felt normal. Um, and, and I think, um, that's, that's something to, to really think about. Um, it, it's, it's not disruptive to them. And you, as you said, you know, you do start to get a sense of what their routine kind of looks like, even so you don't keep it so rigidly like, okay, now it's 11 o'clock. You have to go to sleep right now. It's more about as time goes on, you get a sense. Okay. I can tell you're getting tired because you're getting a bit more crotchety or, you know, you're rubbing your eyes or you're just kind of lying down. So, you know, you, you get that sense better if you do have that time. Um, if you don't have that time, you know, on the time that you do have, you know, pay as much attention as you can, no, really like on like if you're still working full time it's so hard on weekends then to kind of go all right i'll take the baby for the day because you've had him all week because you're exhausted and you want to have some time so you but you have to remember you know it's it's caring for a baby when you, you your other half's on some sort of leave is a full-time job like i don't care what anyone else says it is it is literally a full-time job because it just requires so much of your attention and it's exhausting. It's because, you know, you're always kind of like thinking ahead and, you know, and, and observing and, and, you know, and trying to work out what, what, what's happening next. Look, thank you so much for uh, sharing your, you know, your experience, your wisdom so openly and beautifully, mate. Um, just uh, finally, any any kind of last comments that you might say to, you know, that, that bloke out there who's, you know, just getting prepared to become a dad? Oh, look, talk to you, mates talk to friends who have kids, talk to friends who don't have kids, you know, talk to anyone because internalizing fear or internalizing doubt or any of that sort of stuff, it just makes things worse, you know, and you don't enjoy yourself. Um, Take the time to go have a beer with a mate and just say, look, this has been really hard. And you know what? Your partner won't resent you for it. You'll actually feel better for it. And maybe you'll even, even uh, be able to articulate things that you're feeling. Um, Take all the advice that people give you, but just remember that it just needs to apply to to your situation and use what you need, and just enjoy it. That's the only other thing, you know. We, we're now we've we've got two beautiful boys. One of them's nine months old, so we're going through teething. You know, so sleep is a little bit more challenging. And but you know what, we're enjoying it so much more the second time because we're not as there's not as much fear. Brilliant. And we start to realise that we there probably wasn't as there shouldn't have been as much before. So, yeah, love it. Love it. Enjoy it. Face it with uh, curiosity. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Maddie. No worries at all. Take care, mate. I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging.